It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Chapter 17 The Dutchman. Sora, Carrie, and Will stepped into the cabin aboard the Arrow, the ship that was to take them to Tortuga, and sat down around a small circular table with a set of tea. So, Sora, Will began as he poured three teacups of orange tea, I have observed that we haven't had much time for a good chat yet. So tell me, how goes you and the other worlds? Sora began to pick up his cup of tea and saucer and sat back in a comfortable armchair. It's a long story, he said, before taking a sip of his tea and scalding his tongue, letting out a small yelp of pain. Sora placed his tea back onto the table. Too hot, he said as Will and Carrie began laughing. That's why you put in cream and sugar, Sora, Carrie said as she leaned back in, in her own chair and taking a sip of her comfortably warm tea. Sora hastened to follow Carrie's advice before trying his tea again. Finding it satisfactory, he leaned back in his chair once more and postulated again that it was a long tail. We have time, Sora, Will said, gesturing around him. Tell me, what has all happened since you left after our after we dropped that chest of Aztec gold into the depths? Sora immediately set into recalling the events that transpired after his second departure of Port Royal, excluding once again his daydream in Halloween Town, culminating in the current events the previous week with some help from Kyrie. Will nodded mostly in understanding as he took in all the information, but few parts still confused him. So, he recapped to himself as he thought aloud, your enemy has returned and is setting about to conquer or destroy all the worlds, as you say, and she has two powerful nobodies under her control, just like the members of the former organization. Yet you also say that you both have nobodies of your own. May we be introduced? Will looked up expectantly between the two teenagers as they soundly communicated with their others. At first, Will could not see the spectral images of Roxas and Namne, but they appeared before him in a flash as both wielded their keyblades, the Fenrir and Sleeping Lion in Roxas's hands, while the Island's fire resided in Namne's palm. With a flash, the blades vanished. Roxas and Namne took to took to being their transparent figures, now visible to William. You know, Roxas said as he took turned to look at Namne, it gets a little tiring having to always pull out our keyblades so we can be seen. Namne sighed and nodded her head slowly as William stood up. It's a pleasure to meet both of you, he said with a bow. Namne giggled but returned the bow all the same. It's nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you as well, she said with a smile as she lifted her head, blue eyes boring into his as if trying to decipher Will's innermost secrets. You have a pretty cool job for what I hear, Roxas said as he returned from his own bow. Smithing swords and metalwork sounds pretty cool. Will laughed a little and looked at Roxas. Actually, it is very hot work, he joked, but I do get to spend a lot of time practicing with the swords I make. I distinctly remember Jack telling me to find a girl after I told him that. 
Sora and Roxas chuckled in laughter. Well, you found Elizabeth, Carrie said with a worried smile on her lips. As she looked at her boyfriend, the door to the cabin suddenly opened as a marine stepped in. Sirs, ma'am, he said, inclining his head at the three of them. We've arrived in Tortuga. The redcoat then stepped back outside, closing the door behind them. Already? Carrie asked, raising an eyebrow. Sora cocked his head at her. The Caribbean is a small place, he said, almost in disbelief, as they made their way to the door. The whole time I spent here last time was all in one night. Roxas and Will chuckled as the nobodies went back into their familiar's bodies. Carrie opened the door to see the deck of the ship with its four deck cannons, and beyond a town full of forges and old sea salts, as well as many drunken men who wore hats with three points in varying colors and sizes far off in the distance. Carrie could just discern some men shooting their pistols at rum bottles that stood on the heads of other men, while others were caressing with women. Carrie grimaced and wrinkled her nose as it inhaled the stanchion smell of rum. So, this is a pirate, pirate town, Nominee said in her mind. It seems pretty rough. I know. I wouldn't like to live here, Carrie thought back. I prefer our islands to this place. Carrie began following Sora and William past the four black deck canyons towards the gangplank and down onto the docks. We'll start our search for Jack here, Will said as the arrow began to make preparations for departing back to Port Royal. Carrie and I will search the docks, on one on each end. Sora, you look in town. Sora nodded and Will glanced up at a face of a large clock. It still works, but being in a pirate town, it had its implications on how pristine it was. Let's meet back here in one hour. Carrie and, Carrie and Sora nodded, and the group began walking off. Carrie to the east side of the docks, Will to the west, and Sora northward into town. Be careful, Sora, Carrie whispered as they parted ways. That place looks rough. Sora simply grinned at her and walked backwards. Aren't I always? he asked. Carrie grimaced and placed her hands on her hips, just above the waistline on her pink skirt. No, she said truthfully. Sora just waved it off and turned away. See you in an hour, he called. Carrie scoffed her head upwards and shook it at him as she also walked away. But as she turned, Carrie couldn't resist a smile. That was the attitude of the Sora that she fell in love with. And as much as she sometimes disapproved of the carefree attitude he had, like at the current moment, she still loved it. An hour later, Carrie returned to a now-empty stretch of boardwalk, disgusted at all she had seen. She had been able to glean a little information from the men at the end of the docks about Jack. One man whom Jack owed four doubloons said he was dead. Another said Jack was drunk in Singapore. A few said they had never heard of him, while about ten said that he was being chased across the Atlantic by Commodore Nortington. All the other sailors at the docks had kept true to their reputation of being sailors and tried to take advantage of her, a teenage girl with a heavenly figure and, per and particularly nice assets. Carrie had different ideas in mind. One did not involve her lying down the docks, getting raped, and a few quick skirmishes with her keyblade and a couple blasts of chilled air had sent them straight before any harm could come to her well-being. She arrived back at their meeting place to see Will standing with a man with long and lanky black hair, 
and dark skin. So and Sora walking in from town rubbing his cheek as Kairi stopped as she noticed Sora was rubbing a red mark on said cheek. A red mark that gave the appearance as if he had been slapped hard. I thought I told you to be careful, Kairi reprimanded once she got once he got within earshot. Sora looked at her in interest as she as with an eyebrow raised. I was, he retorted. I didn't drink any rum. I didn't get any fights, though it seems that you did. He gestured at the Oathkeeper resting in Carrie's hands. But I did find out that Jack hasn't been here in a month, he continued, indicating the slap mark. I need to give Jack a message from Giselle when we find him. Will laughed at him before introducing the man who sat next to him as a man who had caught shrimp. He says he can take us to the Black Pearl. Will said. The man nodded. I can't I can't say much about Jack, he said in a Jamaican accent, but we'll find a ship where we're heading, a ship with black sails. Sora held up a hand to shield his eyes from the sun as he looked at an island. Lush tropical forest grew in just inward of the beach, traveling up a mountain from and seeming to go on forever. But Sora wasn't looking at the scenery. He was instead staring intently upon a wooden vessel that lay beached on shore. The wood was dark and stained from dry sea spray, and cannons were strapped to the deck to prevent them from falling onto the soft sands. Its two great masts and rear masts had their black sails furled up while ropes led all around the ship to the stakes in the ground. It's the pearl, all right, Sora said as the shrimper closed his spyglasses. My brother will take you three ashore, he said, leading them to a longboat. They got inside with another man with dark skin who began rowing them towards the island. After a few minutes, the man stopped and looked at the three of them. What's wrong? Will asked. The beach is right there. The man said, What? Sora asked as Kyrie gave the man a confused look. Je nu pax sest trop dangerous javais le dit. Will seemed to understand this as he at least and stood up, preparing to jump overboard. Bon voyage, messieurs, madame. Will leapt off into the water after the boat had steadied itself. Sora and Kyrie followed suit. The three swam ashore, Will's sword hanging in his belt before approaching the pearl as Carrie wrung the water out of her hair. What do you say to flying instead of swimming next time, Sora? She asked, swinging her damp hair out of her eyes. The box of pixie dust appeared in Sora's hands as William began calling for Jack. Good idea, Sora said, sprinkling the precious dust over the two of them before vanishing the box. The two of them turned to look at the ship before calling out names as well. Anybody? Will asked quietly after a moment. Carrie looked into the forest while Sora continued to look around the ship. Maybe they went in there, she asked, pointing into the direction of what appeared to be a path through the trees. Will came up and cocked his head at her at in interest. Sora looked behind him. The three began advancing into the growth when a blue and yellow parrot flew onto a branch near them. Look, Sora said, pointing at the bird. It's Cotton's parrots. The bird squawked at them when they stopped to look at it. Rock! Don't eat me! It exclaimed. We're not going to eat you, Will exclaimed. Will said in a confused tone as he turned his back on the parrot and moved further into the wood. 
Don't eat me. Cotton's parrot continued. Don't eat. No, don't eat me. Rock. The threesome continued further into the jungle as and a sense of unease took over took hold of Soren Kyrie. They lived on a tropical island. They adventured into its jungles, but they had never felt the same dread as they did here. With every step they took, Sora's sharpened senses took over, and he kept looking around as if eyes were watching him. Some Something suddenly caught his eye. A brown water pouch was hanging on a tree. Will had the same thing and picked it up. Gibbs, he muttered, finding a string on the sky. Carrie looked at the string with unease as she desperately threw a glance behind her. I don't like the look of that string, Will, she said, biting her lip. Will looked back at the two teens. It might lead us to Jack, he said as he began to follow it past a large tree. A large a cry suddenly came from the tree as and a man wearing a superb camouflage paint started, startled Will and set off a trap snare under him. Will was flung upwards into the canopy on the rope as more savages with spears came out of hiding. Will drew his sword and keyblades appeared in Soren Carrie's hands. The teens quickly fell back to where Will was hanging and arranged themselves into a defensive position against the encircling savages. Will began attacking wildly with his swords as Soren Carrie simply stood, their hands gripping their weapons defensively. Half the savages looked to one man with a bone through his nose that held a blowgun. The man took aim and fired a simple dart into Will's neck. Sora looked up at his companion as Will dropped his sword, unconscious. Will, he cried in distress before feeling a prick in his neck. Sora suddenly began to feel incredibly weary and tired. Sora fell face first into the foliage, the oblivion disappearing under him in a white shimmer. Carrie looked at him and was about to call his name when she felt the sting of a dart in her own neck. And within seconds, she had succumbed to its poison, dropping next to Sora like a stone. Sora awoke to find his hands and feet bound to a bamboo, bamboo pole that was being carried by two of the men that had captured him. His neck was immediately noticeable as stiff and sore, and it hurt Sora when he craned to get a look around. He was being carried headfirst up a mountain slope with a village on the heights. Carrie was behind him, and if he arched his neck just right, he could make out William Turner in the front. A pain moan sounded from Carrie as she woke up. Oh, my neck is killing me, she moaned, circling her head around to exercise the muscles. Sora chuckled at her as she swiveled her head around just to just see him. Mine is too, he said in a pained voice before looking up at the ropes on his hands. But these chafing ropes are really hurting my wrists. Carrie giggled as Sora kept his upbeat attitude. Nothing gets you down, does it, Sora? She asked humorously. Sora raised an eyebrow as he continued to look at her. Find out that ridge might, he said, inclining his head towards a cliff face where there appeared to be two cages made of bones. Carrie followed his gaze and grimaced. There are worse ways to go, she thought. They were carried up to what could be called a village square, with Will's pole being borne in the front and Soren Carrie's flanking his yet a little behind to give the impression of a triangle or a V-shape. Hurry, hurry, Tandaga! The chief hunter who had brought them there announced to a man wearing white with eyes painted across his face and ornate native headdress.
Jack? Sora heard Will say. Jack Sparrow? I, I can honestly say I'm glad to see you. Jack rose from the throne and walked towards Will and poked him on the shoulder, as if checking to see how meaty he was. Kyrie turned her head towards Sora as they half-witnessed Jack's strange antics. That's Jack Sparrow? That's Captain Jack Sparrow? She whispered. Norris nodded his head and looked at Jack. Jack, Sora said. It's us, remember? Jack paid no attention to Sora and, and instead turned to the chief native. We say Kong, said Jack. And da la esipi. The native replied, banging his staff on the ground while the crowd behind him repeated his last word. Can you tell them to let us down? Carrie asked, speaking to Jack at last. Jack ignored her as well and continued speaking to the native. K-Lay-Lam, he said, gesturing towards Will. lam pi ki lam in si win si Jack knelt down nearby Will's legs. lam se se in chi Snip-snip. At this, he moved his fingers as if they were together, as if they were like scissors. Ah, the tribe moaned in understanding and displeasure. Irunchi. Jack turned away from them in disinterest as Sora was about was able to spot a black compass hanging from his belt. Jack, the compass, Will said. That's all we need. Jack stopped for a moment but kept his back turned. The motion was all Sora needed to know that he was listening to them. We were arrested for helping you before, Sora yelled. Elizabeth and Goofy's son are in danger. They are to be hanged, Carrie added, her voice ringing with desperation. Jack stayed facing away from them for a moment, which annoyed Sora to the point where he opened his bound palm and as much as he could and briefly muttered a spell. The black compass flew off of Jack's belt and pelted straight into Sora's waiting hand. I've got the compass, he announced gladly. Jack turned around and stared at it before looking back and forth between where it had been and where it was now was. Oi! Jack yelled as he walked his silly walk up to Sora and snatched it back. Jack fingered and caressed the object for a moment before looking at Sora's unreadable expression. My compass, he whispered. Sora inclined his head and sighed before looking at Kyrie. Well, he said, I tried. Carrie giggled a little as Jack gave another orb to the natives, who didn't understand at first. Ba-licky-licky, Jack said at the end, gesturing at the three captives. Ba-licky-licky, one yelled before the rest began chanting. The pole was attached to Sora. The pole Sora was attached to began to move as they were carried out. Jack, what did you tell them? Will asked frantically. No, what about Elizabeth, Jack? It hasn't even been one day, Sora, Carrie yelled at him as her pole fell in behind his. Not one day, and I've already seen worse than Neverland three times over. Sora looked at Sora looked down at Carrie in confusion. Three times? What was the second time? he inquired. Carrie puffed her lip up and blew some of her red bangs out of her eyes. Some men at the docks tried to rape me, she growled. Sora felt his blood boil in anger at her statement. But that was quickly replaced by anxiety and worry. She could have been hurt and brutally lost her virginity, or worse, and he hadn't been there for her. Carrie craned her neck at him and saw his downcast face. Don't worry, she comforted. I said they tried. They didn't even get close to taking my skirt off, not with the magic you taught me anyway.
She am, she ended with a smirk at his at this and saw his face brighten. You see, Roxas commented to Sora, you were there for her, not physically, but by teaching her magic, you were able to help her even without being there. Sora could just discern Roxas laughing as well. By the way, you worry too much. Carrie's well trained and can hold her own against you. Do you honestly think a few measly pirates could be able to take her down and rape her even if she didn't have her keyblade out? Sora chuckled a little as well. I guess you're right, Roxas, he thought. Carrie can take care of herself, but that doesn't stop me from worrying about her. You don't have to stop, Roxas continued. You just have to stop being yourself up if she gets into a little trouble. She worries about you, but she doesn't feel like a piece of crap after you get into a bit of a fix. Sora's face took an inquiring look. And how'd you know that? He asked. Namine, Roxas answered simply. Sora chuckled a little more and suddenly became aware of natives hacking away at his bonds. With a jolt, his hands became free and Sora's body fell for the ground. His head hanged the dirt with a soft thump. Sora rubbed the developing goose egg as Roxas snickered in the background. His feet then became loose and fell away as well. Before Sora could get up on his own, some tribesmen roughly grabbed him and threw him into a cage made of bone, and they slammed the door of the cage shut and pushed it off a cliff face. The rope it was attached to, to keeping it from plunging into the abyss, and as soon as the cage stopped moving and Sora's heart stopped racing from the fear of falling, he looked around inside the cage as the sound of drums beat down from the villagers far from the village far away. Will and Carrie were in it, as well as three members of the Black Pearl's crew. Gibbs, Marty, and Cotton. Gibbs, Sora said upon seeing the old sea dog's white whiskered face. It's nice to see you again. Gibbs, Marty, and Cotton seemed incredibly surprised to see him. Sora, Gibbs said in recognition. By God, how did they capture you? Poison darts, Carrie answered, rubbing her neck. Gibbs and the crew looked to Carrie. Uh, a uh, friend of yours, Sora? Marty asked. Sora nodded his head. Yes, he answered. Carrie, this is Mr. Gibbs, Mr. Cotton, and Marty. Gibbs, Marty, and Cotton, this is my girlfriend, Carrie. After shaking Carrie's hand, Gibbs gave Sora a grand look. You have great taste, Sora, he said. Couldn't have picked a better one. So you're all real pirates, then? Carrie asked, her, gold, her sapphire eyes glaring down on Gibbs. Aye, that would be true, he answered. Too bad the Pelagostos made Jack their chief. Why wouldn't? Why would he do this, though? Will said at last. If Jack is their chief. Aye, Gibbs answered. He's only the chief as long as he acts like the chief. So he had no choice, Carrie said. He's as captive as, the, as much as the rest of us. She then sighed and turned to Sora. That's four times now. Worse, as it turns out, Gibbs continued glancing between Sora and Carrie in discomfort. See, the Pelagostos believe that Jack is a god in human form, and they intend to do him the honor of releasing him from his fleshy prison. Cotton bit down on hard on Gibbs' fingers for emphasis causing a crunching sound. Gibbs suppressed a cry of pain and merely grunted. They roast him and eat him. He finished after he got the pain under control. Carrie looked at Gibbs horrified. Five now, Sora, she said before glancing at Cotton. 
Why doesn't he talk? He got his tongue cut out. Gives answer. So he trained his parrot to talk for him. Bloody bird flew away after we captured. Where are the other Where are the other crewmen? Will ask, glancing at the other cage about fifty feet away to his right. You see these cages we're in? Gibbs asked. They weren't built after we got they were they weren't built till after we got here. So he immediately drew his hands away from the bones in disgust and floated into the center of the cage. Carrie having done a, so a split second before him, having anticipated what Gibbs was saying before he finished. Six. She breathed holding back a sickly wretch. Gibbs looked up as the drums that still filled the air grew in intensity. The feast is about to begin, he answered grimly. Jack's life will end when the drums stop. Well, we can't, well, we can't sit here and wait till then, can we? Will asked as he shoved his weight against the side of the cage, making it rocks forward some. The bones that were moving forward smacked sore upside the head and sent his body, sent his floating body into a flip that resulted in his head contacting with Gibbs' shoulder. Come on now, lad, Gibbs roared. This isn't the time to be playing around. We have to get out of here. Sora grimaced, and they all began working towards swinging the cage, enough to grab some vines on the other side as the circus music filled Sora's ears. Roxas, stop fooling around, he thought as he was finally able to grab a vine. I need to concentrate. Put your legs through. Start to climb. Gibbs ordered as the cage slowly began crawling up the cliff. Come on, men, Will shouted. It will take all the rest to, to crew the Black Pearl. Actually, you won't need everyone, someone in the, the other cage shouted. About six will do. Both of the cages stopped momentarily as they each considered what the man had just said. So quickly did a count to see their cage in their cage to see six and looked into the other cage and saw six. Oh, dear. Hurry, Will yelled. Sora forsook his vine and glided up past Smarty, the tiny motivational speaker, and rammed his back into the top of the cage in an attempt to make it go faster. Stop! Will suddenly exclaimed quietly, and Sora followed his frightened gaze to see a cannibal guard walking across the wooden rope bridge. Both cages stopped for a moment, and Sora held his breath and hoped that he wouldn't see them. Sora glanced over at the other cage, as he was moving upwards again. Stop! He hissed at them. He'll see you! The men simply grinned and silently cackled at him until one of them grabbed a snake instead of a vine. All of them had started hollering in panic as they let go of their vines and plummeted downward, the rope snapping, sending them down into the rocky crags below. Sora watched as the cannibal viewed what the one cage falling down before drawing his attention to their cage. Move! Will roared. Put your backs into it! Carrie yelled in desperation as she joined Sora in ramming the top of the cage upwards. They all scrambled to get the cage up to the top of the cliff and finally succeeded as the cannibals appeared in the distance. Find a rock! Will ordered. Cut the rope loose. There isn't time for a rock, Sora retorted as he reached his hand through the bars and grabbed the rope. Faraga! His hand grew hot with all the heat of the sun and his grip burned right through the fibers. He quickly looked up to see the cannibals approaching fast. Roll the cage, he yelled. Sora flung his weight onto one side and the cage began to roll down the hill 
despite the occupants screaming fear. Sora felt his stomach such in on its own accord when they went over a small cliff and thankfully landed on the other side. Moments later, they rolled up a coconut tree and they lost their, all their speed as the cage fell back on the ground, still unbroken. Sora staggered to his feet with a pounding in his head as a dart whizzed past his ear. He turned to see the entire Campbell village chasing after them with weapons drawn. Lift the cage, Will ordered frantically. Come on, men, Gibbs yelled in motivation as he grabbed some of the bones. Lift it like a lady's skirt. He then frantically looked at Carrie's blazing eyes and noticed that she was wearing, indeed wearing a pink skirt. Begging your pardon, miss, he said fearfully. You'd better be begging my pardon. Carrie huffed as they began lugging the cage forward, screaming in fear. Now is not the time, Carrie. Will yelled as he glanced backwards before putting his next foot into nothingness. The cage plummeted downward through the small rocky chasm into the water, the bones finally breaking apart into two shells as they hit the water. Zora heaved one shell off him and began following Gibbs towards the rocky cover as the cannibals started shooting arrows and spears in after them. Sora turned around and began swimming a backstroke as he looked at the cannibals. He placed his hands outwards for a moment. Reflaga, he said, choking on some water. The honeycomb shield set itself in place just before an arrow could be sent straight for his skull. The dart bounced off the shield and landed harmlessly in the water nearby. More missiles connected with his spell blocked from hitting the others, and Sora retreated behind the cover of the rock. Carrie coughed up a little water as he arrived next to her. You all right? She asked in a concerned voice. Yeah, Sora said before looking inquiringly at her. You? Carrie smiled at him before shifting a little closer to the rock. I've been worse, she said. The cannibals suddenly appeared on the opposite side of the chasm from them and prepared to launch a volley at them all. Sora braced himself to bring up another shield when a cannibal boy showed up directly above them and said something. The warriors immediately turned tail and left the group alone, a heaving sighs of relief. Come on, Gibbs said after a moment. We have to get to the Pearl or there will be no way off this godforsaken island. Sora and Kyrie nodded in agreement. Let's go, Will said as they swam off towards the island. Upon arrival, they saw that the Black Pearl was already half in the water with a person on the beach holding a line. Unloose the mooring lines, Sora heard him yell as he passed the dog before real realized the one was shouting was Pinto. The mooring lines. Nothing happened on deck until he yelled it again. A, stand, a man with sandy hair and an empty eye socket appeared, pointing at a monkey. He's got to my eye, Raggedy complained, and he won't give it back. Well, how'd you get it back the last time? Pinto asked tiredly as Gibbs came up behind him. Excellent work, Gibbs exclaimed, giving Pinto a pat on the shoulder. Our work's half done. Pinto looked up, up seeing their arrival, and his tone of voice ch quickly changed. We done it for you, he said in an instant tone, knowing, knowing you'd be coming back for us. Make ready to sail, boys, Gibbs yelled to all present. What about Jack? Will demanded. We aren't leaving without him. Oi! They heard faintly. Everyone turned their heads to see Jack running frantically on the beach towards them. Sora half smiled. Good old Jack. He muttered. The smile quickly slid off his face as a crowd of Pelagostos came up behind Jack, pursuing him. 
Never mind, let's go. He yelled, soaring into the air and landing on the Pearl's deck. Cast off those lines. Gibbs screeched as Carrie took to the air and led next to Sora. Make ready to cast off. Sora leapt into action as he ran up the near rear mast, heaving a line as he did so. A black sail unfurled and began filling with wind as Gibbs and the others climbed aboard and began unfurling more sails. A wave splashed the side of the ship and Jack climbed up. The rigging drenched. Sora and Carrie immediately strode up to the waterlogged captain. Sola! Cap Jack cried in jubilation, extending his hand. That's Sora! Sora retorted, though a forced frown, through a forced frown. Though the edges of his lips were still pointed upwards in a smile, Jack grinned at him as he shook his hand before Sora, then suddenly slapped him in the face. The grin vanished off Jack's face as he rubbed his cheek and stared at Sora as if he'd never seen him before. Giselle, Sora explained, shaking his hand to get rid of the stingy in his palm. Jack nodded curtly. I thought as much, he said before turning to Carrie and frowning. Donald, he inquired, raising an eyebrow. What happened to you? Carrie's face became one of outrage as she drew her keyblade from the white space and placed its points at Jack's neck. Did you just call me a duck? She snarled, pressing the Oathkeeper's tip in, a into Jack's skin a little. Jack raised his hands in defense as Sora slowly backed away. Note to self, he thought. Never cross Kyrie. Good plan, Roxas communicated to him. If she's anything like nominate when she's angry, which I seriously do not doubt, I'm not sure you will survive. Oh, Jack said as the keyblades tip went a bit deeper. You have a blade like Sora's. Then you aren't, Donald. Their attitude much resembles his. Kyrie glared at Jack as she removed her blade from Sparrow's neck. I'm Sora's girlfriend. Princess, Kyrie, she said, her eyes not losing their fire. Remember my name. Jack placed his hands together and gave her a bow. I won't forget, princess, he said, rising from his bow as Gibbs approached him. Captain, he said as he said first to get Jack's attention. Let's put some distance between us and this island and head out into the open sea. Yes, to the first. Yes, to the second. But only in so far as we keep to the shallows as much as possible, Jack responded, forgetting about Sora and Carrie for the moment. I believe that's a bit contradictory, Captain, Gibbs said as he, in a slightly confused voice, and Jack looked at him in irritation. I have every faith in in you, reconciliatory navigational skills, Mr. Gibbs, he said irritably. Now, where is that monkey? I want to shoot something. Jack the monkey dropped Raggedy's eye from above and proceeded to climb into the rigging. Captain Sparrow was preparing to shoot Jack with his flint pistol when Will, Sora, and Kyrie approached him again. Jack, Will said. Ah, Jack responded to show he was listening. Lisbeth is in danger, Will said, reiterating what he said earlier. Have you considered keeping a closer eye on her? Jack asked while walking away towards the bridge with Gibbs on his heel. Maybe lock her up or something? She is locked up, Sora said, in a prison, bound to be hanged for helping you. Same with Goofy's son, our friend Max, who is also a bound to hang for being with Sora at the time, 
Carrie added. Jack appeared nonplussed at this news and waved it off with a flick of his wrist. There comes a time for when one must take responsibility for one's mistakes, he said. Sora pulled out the oblivion in a threatening manner. So it was a mistake for me to help you for you of that curse last time? He asked, when Luxard's heartless cursed you? Jack placed a finger to his chin and tried to remember. Oh, he said when his face fell. No, that was no mistake, Sora. Sora grinned and withdrew his keyblade as Will pulled out a sword, placing it near Jack's neck. We need that compass of yours, Jack, he threatened. We must trade it f for the freedom. Jack looked strangely at William and shoved his blade aside. Mr. Gibbs, he said, Captain. We need us. We need to sail upriver. Jack ordered. Gibbs suddenly began to sweat and pulled nervously on his collar. By need, do you mean a trifling need or a fleeting, as in a passing fancy? He asked fervently. No, Jack answered firmly. A resolute and unyielding need. What we need to do is make sail for Ro Port Royal with all haste. Will said angrily. Sora's head bobbed between the two as the conversation swayed back and forth. William, Jack sighed. Sora, your highness. Jack bowed at Carrie and she smirked. For once, she was enjoying people bowing to her. I shall trade you the compass if you will help me to find this. Jack unfurled a piece of cloth at he, he had soundly removed from his jacket. On it was a black drawing with a key with two points. Jack's eyes suddenly glinted as he looked at Sora and Carrie. Unless, he whispered to himself, Sora, he exclaimed and extended his hand. May I see your marvelous weapon blade again? Sora summoned the oblivion again and handed it to Jack. It stayed in his hands for a few seconds, and Jack's face beamed before it vanished and reappeared in Sora's hand. Not yet, Jack, Sora said, shrugging his shoulders. He wasn't disappointed, though. The keyblade was still his, and he didn't entirely feel like giving it up yet. Since that plan just failed, Jack said, drawing their attention back to the cloth, I want you to help me find this key. You want me to find this? Will asked. No, Jack said slyly. You want you to find this, because the finding of this finds you incapacitatorially finding and or locating and... You're discovering the detecting of a way to save your Dolly Bell. Oh, what's her name, Savvy? Will picked up the cloth and as Sora scratched his head. He never liked it when Jack confused him like this. This, Will said in disbelief, is going to save Elizabeth and Max? How much do you know about Davy Jones? Jack asked. At the name, Sora's face grew stony and Carrie looked worriedly at him. Their actions, though, went unheeded by any present. Not much, Will answered. Jack nodded his head. Yeah, he said. It's going to save Elizabeth and Max. Sir turned away from the scene and floated up to the crow's nest, staring out at the sea. The Caribbean was a marvelous place with the color of the ocean that so resembled the ones back on the islands. The waves sound the same, he thought bitterly, before staring down at the dark wood. But they both can become very dangerous fast. He looked up at the waters with both longing and loathing. 
He glared at the green-blue waves that gently careened over the ocean bed with disdain, and the sound of boots dropping onto woods behind him. He inhaled the regular sea scent he had gotten used to as a certain vanilla strawberry perfume. You dropped the honey, Kai, he said quietly without turning around. I got bored with it, she said. Sora felt her hand on his shoulder as she shook it slightly. Sora, he heard her say as he took a few steps forward to bring her head level with his. What's wrong? What is it about Davy Jones? Sora sighed and looked into her own blue eyes. Davy Jones is an immortal menace who attacks ships for the fun of it, he said, no matter what world they're on. He can command his ship, the Flying Dutchman, to surface and strike. Sora turned away and gazed out at the sun. Twelve years ago, when I was three, my father was a fisherman on our islands. Our ship had owned a whole fishing company and fleet. My dad was good. No, the best there ever was, or so people say. Sora sighed, dropping his head down to look at his shoes. One day, when they were out at sea, a ship that looked as if it had been sailing on the ocean forever, with ragged sails, the rotting and rotting wood with dozens of cannons, surfaced from the depths and viciously attacked my father's vessel. The whole fleet, with their cannons, and a monster from below the sea that had giant tentacles, all the survivors, the crew of one ship, the Excalibur, who made it back to the islands, said that my dad's ship, named the High Wind, was the last to fall, and the most valiant using harpoon guns to try and flight, fight off the tentacles. Some said that they could see, still see my dad fighting on deck with the sword, but then a tentacle destroyed the ship and they couldn't see his body among the wreckage. They gave their condolences to my mother, but still no ships were ever built again and fishing was left to the shallows for fear of Davy Jones' wrath again. I think Riku's dad was one of the crewmen of the Excalibur. Harry placed her arm around him, drawing him into her warmth. I never knew, she whispered. I guess there was another reason to go on the raft we were building, to find your father. Sora nodded quietly. I also didn't remember it at the time, he said after a pause. But when Riku and I were racing to see who would be captain of our raft and who would name it, I had no idea he wanted to name it after my father's ship. He hung his head and laughed a little. Riku's such a great friend that way. I guess he was jealous of me even before then and thought it a way to show how much he admired me. Kara looked at him fondly. Why would Riku be jealous of you? She asked. Sora smiled a little in remembrance of the short time he had spent in the realm of darkness with his best friend. He said that he wished that he could live the life I do, Sora explained, just following his heart. He always wanted to be better than me in everything else, just to compensate for that. But he didn't know that he that just that just because he did that made me feel silly and want to be like him. Sora chuckled a little and glanced at his love. I also think I think he also had a bit of a crush on you and wanted you to like him over me. Carrie's cheeks blushed a little and turn and Sora turned back to sea gazing, sniggering. To tell the truth, she said quietly after her face had cooled off. I had always admired how strong he was, and I think I had a bit of a crush on him too. Sora looked at her, not surprised. 
Then what made you pick me? He asked. Kara shook her head. I don't think I consciously picked you over Riku, she said. I think my heart just seemed to always tell me you were the one. You seemed to always... You seemed able to talk more and have more enjoying conversations together than I did with Riku. You also played better, and I think your heart was also drawing you closer to me. I remember sneaking up on you and Riku when you were defending my right to go into yours and Riku's secret place. Sora grinned, remembering the look of the rocks throughout their, in their little hideaway. The rocks etched with strategies Titus and Waka had come up for with Blitz, for Blitzball. Others with drawings of the monsters Sora had imagined lived in the place. And the one with Sora and Kairi sharing the star-shaped fruits. Hey, Sora. Sora? Carrie asked coyly with red cheeks. She had been thinking of the same thing. Did you happen to see my drawing? Sora nodded his head and smiled, turning to face Kyrie. They came forward and kissed for a moment as the pearls sailed through the waves. They broke apart with their foreheads resting on each other's. We'll get home, Sora sighed. Let's share one for real. Kyrie smiled and giggled a little as she rested her head on his shoulder while they looked out into the sea and began to watch for land. I'd like that, she said as the sun's rays danced off the water. A comforting and calming silence passed between them for the longest time as the waves broke on the ship's hull. Hey, Sora, she said at last, what was your father like? Sora looked up in remembrance of the framed pictures in his house of his mother and father together. One of his dad. One of his dad alone, and a couple of a little boy with short spiky hair laughing on a man's shoulders while he pulled out a brown beard. My dad's name was Mac, he said proudly. He was tall, with slightly spiked chocolate hair, and a great rugged beard that was surprisingly soft to the touch. I remember I used to run my fingers through it all the time and tug at it while my dad laughed in a joyous booming laugh. His eyes were emerald green, and my mom said they twinkled softly whenever he looked at anyone with kindness, which he was most of the time. I've heard he was proud, kind, gentle, and understanding. Actually, I've never heard a bad word against him. His eyes suddenly twinkled with the light as he described, and he turned like a carry. You know, now I think of it, I even, even though I resent Jones for taking his life, I'm proud of him. He probably saved that ship with Riku's father on it with his last stand. Carrie looked into the blue eyes of the boy she loved and smiled. He was a valiant then, she said, giving him a hug and rubbing his back. Like father, like son. She sniffed in his cinnamony, minty smell with longing. I'm glad you inherited your father's courage. I think you could have made it through to save me the first time without it, though. You seem to have enough on your own. Sword chuckled as he held her. I think I could have too, he said, but I think it really shone when I was fighting Riku to, f to defend your heart, and when we were fighting Xehanort's Heartless to defend Kingdom Hearts and the worlds. Carrie looked up at him in admiration and softly kissed her lips. Oi! They both suddenly broke apart to see Jack yelling at them from the helm with Gibbs. Are you two looking out or making out? He yelled. Sir and Carrie instantly blushed crimson. Looking out, Captain! They simultaneously retorted. Well, there's our destination, Gibbs yelled, pointing out the large river 
going into an island, and I didn't hear anyone yell, Land Ho! Sora looked at the river for a few seconds before his head swiveled back to Gibbs and Jack. Oops, he whispered to Carrie as she giggled at their mistake. Land Ho! Carrie yelled in the opposite direction to which Jack was facing. Now that isn't very nice, princess, Jack yelled as they raided longboats to leave the ship. As punishment for your cheek, the two of you must stay aboard and guard the ship while we head up river. Carrie looked at Sora and smirked before drawing her attention back to the captain. Understood, sir, she said. They watched so the, crew the crow's nest as Jack, Will, Gibbs, Marty, Cotton, Cotton's parrot, Pintel, and Raggedy all got into two longboats and rowed up river. When they had vanished from sight, Carrie turned to look at Sora. What do we do now? As an answer, the oblivion appeared in Sora's hand. We haven't sparred for a while, he said with a glint in his eyes. Suddenly, Roxas and Nominee appeared in the crow's nest, wielding their own keyblades. Team battle, Nominee declared before having to retreat from the lookout into the rigging as the crow's nest had become too crowded. Carrie grinned and summoned the Oath Keeper with a flourish. Maybe this time someone is going to win, Carrie said as she leapt into the air with a backflip. Sora and Roxas flying up to the opposite side, Nominee Rosa joined Kyrie. The four faced each faced off in the air. Standing as it were, they sized up the other side. Sora held the oblivion tightly in his hands above his head, pointed downwards so the black blade crossed across his bangs in a diagonal cut. Roxas was next to him, taking the pose that his samurai nobodies used after they unsheathed their katanas, the seeping lion in his right hand angled outwards and upwards with the Fenrir in exact duplicate position in his left hand. Carrie faced them with the Oathkeeper poised beyond her back, arching upwards, enough to reveal a starry key just next to left side of her head as a ball of pure electricity formed and crackled in her left hand. Nominee stood with the golden fiery blade of Island's Fire poised above her head, pointing straight at the two boys as her arms arched, arched it back. The stance continued for a straight ten minutes, neither team moving away from their silent taunting as the sun quickly set until Carrie straightened up. We won't win, she said, hanging her head. I surrender. Sora and the others were incredibly taken aback, and Sora almost lost himself in the air, plunging thirty feet onto the Black Pearl's deck was not appealing. Seriously? He asked. Carrie suddenly, Carrie's head suddenly popped up, a playful grin adorning her face. Nope, she said, letting the thunder magic stored in her left hand fly. Sora and Roxas quickly waved out of the way as the bolts sizzled right through the air where they had been. Sora deftly brought his keyblade up to block Carrie as Carrie appeared in front of him, swinging hers downward. The sounds of Ringing metal, crackling flames, and sizzling electricity filled the night air as the contest came underway. Max and Elizabeth were sitting calmly in their cell in Port Royal's dungeon. Prisoners were reaching through the cell bars of the adjacent cell, whistling and catcalling at Elizabeth. Max cracked open an eye and looked at them. If I were actually a dog, he yawned while stretching his arms, I'd probably be barking at them. Elizabeth laughed a little before a guard came up to her cell and unlocked it. Governor Swan stepped out from the shadow wearing a traveling cloak and stood in the entranceway. Come with me. 
he ordered. Max and Elizabeth ignored the prisoner's complaints and rose to follow her father through the fort. Our name still has some standing with the king, the governor replied. I have arranged passage to England. The captain is a friend of mine. Elizabeth stopped in her tracks. No, she answered quickly, fearful of prying eyes. Will has gone to find Jack. Her, her father quickly went back to her and grabbed her upper arm, dragging her along with him. We cannot count on Will, William Turner, he said. Come. They will count on Soren Kyrie, Max exclaimed as he followed along. They won't fail, and William seems to be a better man than you give him credit for. Now is not time for in innocence, Governor Swan interjected as they neared a carriage waiting outside the fort. Please, Lord Beckett has offered one pardon only. One. And that is promised to Jack Sparrow, even if they succeed. Swan then turned and, and, turned and looked at his daughter in the eyes. Do not ask me to endure the sight of my daughter walking to the gallows. Do not. He quickly ushered the two of them into the carriage. Perhaps, he continued, I can ensure a fair trial for them if they return. A fair trial for them ends in hanging, Elizabeth growled. Then there is nothing for you here, her father said as he snapped the door shut. Max looked at his companion. Soren Carey will die before they hang, he said suddenly as the horses outside began moving. Elizabeth looked at him inquiringly. Max noticed her look and shrugged his shoulders. I just meant that, he said, trying to defend himself. Elizabeth shook her head. I know what you meant, she said in understanding before looking out the window. They continued on in silence for a few minutes until she began to mutter. This isn't going to work, she said quietly. Beckett already knows we're gone. We need to get out of this carriage as soon as it stops. Then where? Max asked. We need to get the letters of Marquis from his office. She explained. Then, we'll, then we find a ship and try to get to Tortuga to find Will and the others. Max nodded his head. Sounds like a plan, he said. The carriage stopped and Max looked to see they are near the docks. He, then, he heard Governor Swan speak to them. Wait inside. Elizabeth looked at Max as soon as her father's back was turned. Now, she breathed, out your door. Max flung open the door and stepped out. Elizabeth hot on his heels as they fled through the dark streets. Max heard footsteps and quickly flung himself into the adjacent alley. Elizabeth just got in in the nick of time as soldiers accompanied by cavalry quickly marched past their hiding place. They waited a quick 30 seconds after the last man had left before darting into the night again. Lord Beckett was striding through his office, carrying a lantern and reading a document, analyzing profits from the, from local ports. When his eyes caught sight of a small wooden box on his desk. A few papers were sticking out from it and caught his attention. They hadn't been sticking out earlier. Beckett opened the box to see that small pouch containing the letters of Marquis were gone. No doubt you've discovered that loyalty is no longer the currency of the realm as your father believes, he said, assuming Elizabeth was near. The woman stepped out from behind a wall behind him. Then what is? she asked. Beckett turned towards her. I'm afraid the currency is the currency of the realm, he answered. Elizabeth began to walk forwards, holding the letters. Then I believe we can come to some sort of understanding, she said. We're here to negotiate. 
I'm listening. And what do you mean by we? Miss Swan suddenly pulled out a pistol and pointed at his skull as the sound of a blade unsheathed filled the air. A moment later, Beckett felt a cold tip of steel on the back of his neck. Elizabeth smirked at the half-dog youth behind Beckett. Impeccable timing, Max, she prayed. I take pride in it, he answered with an evil grin. Beckett stole a slow glance between the two of them. I'm listening intently, he said uncomfortably. He shifted his gaze between her and Max again. Would you mind calling off your smelly idiot goon here? He asked politely. Hey, Max retorted. Who are you calling smelly? Elizabeth just smirked at him as Max's sword poked a little harder into Beckett's neck. No, she replied softly before holding the letters up to her chest. These letters of Marquis, they are signed by the king? Elizabeth asked. Yes, Beckett answered. And they're not valid until they bear the sh my signature and my seal. We wouldn't still be here if we didn't need them, Max said as he and Elizabeth lowered their weapons. You sent Will to you sent Will to get the compass owned by Jack Sparrow, Elizabeth said. It will do you no good. Do explain, Beckett goaded. I've been to the island de Muerta, Elizabeth said while advancing on the Lord. The pistol pointed now at his chin from below. I have seen the treasure myself, and there is something you should know. Ah, I see, Lord Beckett said. You think the compass leads to only Isle de Muerta, and you hope to save me from an evil fate. But you mustn't worry. He turned from them and looked instead at the map of the world that adorned one wall. I care not for... Cursed Aztec gold. My desires are not so proficient, provincial. Good, Max huffed as he kept his sword loose in his hand. Because my father dumped that chest into the sea. Beckett turned towards them both again. There's one more chest of value in these watchers, he told Max before striding up to them again. So perhaps you'd like to enhance your offer. Elizabeth placed her pistol under his chin and cocked it, while Max... His sword tip pricked the back of his neck, barely drawing blood. Consider into your calculations that you robbed me of my wedding night, Elizabeth growled as they led Beckett over to the desk. So I did, he said as he signed and sealed the letters. A marriage interrupted, or fate, or fate intervenes. You're going to great efforts to ensure Jack Sparrow's freedom. These aren't going to Jack, Elizabeth said as she snatched the letters from Beckett, but he, so he still began, maintained a grip on them. Oh, really? To ensure Mr. Turner's freedom, then? He glared at the two of them as they began to retreat, Max's sword almost on his chest. I'll still want that compass, Beckett said, his eyes boring to Max. Consider that into your calculations. Cover him, Max. Elizabeth ordered as she backed away slowly. Max lifted his sword and backpedaled his way out after Elizabeth. His blade still pointed at Beckett's figure. Maybe I should contact Soren Carey and tell him not to come back to Port Royal, Max said as they were far as they were far enough from Beckett's office. Elizabeth turned to him in surprise. That would be a good plan, she said. If you had a way to do it, Max smirked and pressed a finger to his flesh-colored earpiece. Sora, Carey, he said. Can you hear me? 
Instead of the static that normally buzzed, a woman's automated voice played in his ear. The device you are trying to reach, it said, is out of range or has been disabled. Please try again. Max's eyes gaped in surprise as he ripped up the earpiece off. Out of range, he gasped, looking frantically between it and Elizabeth. I didn't know these things had a range on them when I built them. Elizabeth looked down glumly as they continued through the night streets. Sora and Kyrie were standing next to Jack and Gibbs on the Black Pearl's deck in stormy seas, gazing out past Will at a ship that was broken in two and stranded on the rocks, looking back at them in disbelief. That's the Flying Dutchman? Will asked. Gibbs was nodding his head frantically in fear as Sora shook some of the rainwater out of his spiked hair. Will shrugged his shoulders and looked at it again. She doesn't seem like much. Neither do you. Do not underestimate her. Jack then elbowed Gibbs, who had become unusually quiet. Must have run afoul of the reef, Gibbs said in a strained voice. What's your plan, Will? Sora asked. I row over, search the ship until I find the bloody key, he answered angrily. If there are crewmen, Jack asked. I cut down anyone in my path. I like it. Simple, easy to remember. Will rose from glaring at the ship and stepped down a rope ladder to get into one of the longboats. Hey, Jack yelled at them. If you do happen to get captured, just say Jack Sparrow sent you to settle his debt. Might save your life. Will rowed away as Raggedy came back from keeping Will's boat ready. Jack turned to Sora and Carrie. Douse the lamps, he ordered. Sora called upon his fire magic and lowered his hands as one... All the lamps on the ship went out. Carrie moved a little closer to him in the darkness and driving rain. Using some of the conjuring magic Merlin taught them, she crafted a thick wooden woolen blanket for them as they stood underneath a railing that protected them from the rain. Sora muttered a brief thanks as they took refuge from the storm. Carrie suddenly placed a finger to the ear. Max, she asked, can you hear me? Instead of static as usual, the device was completely silent. Carrie looked at Sora frightfully. Sora, I think the earpieces are broken. Sora looked at her before trying his own equipment, but it was dead silence as well. The rain must have gotten to it, he said uncomfortably, drawing the blanket further onto his sh- their shoulders, casting the earpiece aside. But Sora, Carrie says she tossed, the, her, tossed hers overboard as well. How are we going to get back to the high wind if the earpieces that Max made are broken? Sora wrapped one of his arms that was under the blanket around her in a comforting embrace. Don't worry, Kyrie, he said firmly. Donald, Goofy, and I didn't have earpieces in our last journeys either. We still made it back to the ship. We'll just have to use one of the glowing green access points the ship created when we were here last time, that's all. Great, Kyrie said in relief. Where are they? Sora screwed up his face as he tried to remember. Well, he began after a brief pause. There's one aboard the Pearl, another in Port Royal, and one in a ship graveyard. He then looked at Carrie's face with a small smile. Not that many are there. Carrie smirked and rested there, her head on the blankets. No, she said as they. she observed Jack looking at the new ship that had mysteriously appeared some time ago with his spyglass. But at least we know we can get back to the ship. Suddenly a man with a tentacly face that had the claw of a lobster in place of his left hand and one 
leg of, of a crustacean for his right leg had appeared in directly in front of Jack. The other men, who looked like a cross between a fish and men, had also appeared with drawn weapons. One of with a one with the head of a hammer shark, sh hammerhead shark, another with half the face of a puffer fish, one with a conch shell for a head, and several others who could not be compared to anything short of looking as if they had been born of the sea. Ne nearly all of them had drawn weapons and were within inches of killing the pearl's crew, although they had thankfully missed noticing Soren Kyrie when they had appeared. Jack looked at the man in front of him. After glancing around at his crew. Oh, you have a debt to pay, Davy Jones said, advancing on Jack. You've been captain of the Black Pearl for thirteen years. That was our agreement. Jack backed away slowly, trying to not to quail at Jones as he was looked as he looked at him in the eyes. Technically I was only captain for two years, Jack said slowly, and I was viciously mutinied upon. Then you are poor captain. But a captain nonetheless, Jones said, circling Jack. Have you not introduced yourself all these years as Captain Jack Sparrow? Jones's crew looked at Jack's defeat, but Sor and Sora's eyes hardened as he observed the man. No, the monster that had caused his father's demise. Carrie looked into Sora's eyes with warning. I know you want to fight him, she whispered. Frankly, I want to kill him too. But now is not the time. We need to make sure our friends will be all right first before you can get your revenge. Sir shook his head. I don't want to kill him, he whispered. Well, I want him dead, but I know I can't kill him. I can only accept the faith that he killed my father and live the best I can. Carrie nodded in understanding as they both turned to watch Jack and Jones again. You have my payment, Jack said. One soul to serve... On your ship is already over there. One soul, one soul is not equal to another. Davy Jones argued. Aha, Jack said. So we've established that my proposal is sound in principle. Now we're haggling over price. Jones looked inquiringly at Jack. Price? He asked. Do you have any idea what's going on? Carrie whispered out of the corner of her mouth. Sora nudged his head a little closer. Nope, he said. I'm lost. Usually I am, now that I think of it. Just how many souls do you think my soul's worth? Jack said, asked, still talking to J.B. Jones. The pirate captain looked around quickly before looking back at Jack. One hundred souls. Three days. Your diamond, mate, Jack said as he turned away. Send me back the boy. I'll get started right away. The fish person with the hammerhead shark blocked Jack from leaving as Jones began talking again. I keep the boy, he said. A good faith payment. That leaves you only 99 more to go. Jones and his crew began laughing as Sora's blood boiled. Hey, Sora yelled, leaving the shelter of the blanket, Carrie following along with him. Jones looked at the two with disdain. Will is our friend, Sora growled, and we won't have you taken from us. Davy Jones snorted at them and singled to some of his crew. Well, if that's how you feel about it, he said. Sora's arms were suddenly wrung behind his back in agony as a by a crew member. As Kyrie's small yelp of pain next to him signified that she was captured as well. 
I'll take these two as well. Jones announced to Sparrow, only 97 more to go. Jack curled his lip in discomfort as he looked at them. Have you not heard of Sora? he asked, trying to haggle. He's a good, courageous, saved the world a few times from evil, a magnificent tenor. Sora looked strangely at Jack. How'd you know I was a good tenor? he asked. You weren't in Atlantica. Jack looked at Sora in apprehension. You mean you're really a good tenor? he asked before shrugging his shoulders. Lucky guess then. Jack turned to J.B. Jones. He's bound to be at worth at least three souls. Sora's girlfriend, Kyrie, she's strong, magical, lovely alto, and a princess. She has to be at least worth four souls just to look at her. And have you not met Will Turner? He's noble, heroic, terrific soprano, and has to be at least worth four, maybe three and a half. And I did happen to mention he's in love. Jones froze suddenly as Jack began to circle him. With a girl, he continued, due to be married, betrothed, dividing him from her, from him, would only be half as cruel as actually allowing them to be joined in holy matrimony. I, Jones stayed star staring into space for a moment, a quivering, almost human look in his eyes before snapping back to reality. I keep the boys and girl, he said. Ninety-nine souls, uh, but I wonder, Sparrow. He turned and looked Jack in, square in the eyes. Can you live with yourself? Can you condemn innocent friends uh, to a life of time of servitude in your name while you roam free? Jack paused for a moment, contemplating the question. Please, Sora thought. Please say no. Yep, Jack answered cheerfully. I'm good with it. Shall we seal it in blood or ink? Davy Jones grasped Jack's hand as Sora's mind was reeling with the knowledge that Jack would give up his friends to save his own skin. I can't believe him! Roxas roared in his mind. Bloody ungrateful pirates, Sora thought. I shall have listened to Jack when he said to never trust a pirate. Davy Jones called off his crew and Sora and Kyrie were led forcefully over the to the edge of the deck before vanishing and reappearing on the sullen deck of the fine Dutchman. William Turner was standing next to him to them along the with four other men who looked half dead. Welcome to the crew, lads and lass, Jones said. Bosun A pirate with what looked like black corals adorning his face, holding two whips, one was regular leather whip and the other one with iron prongs at the end. Step forward. Give these new hands their deck orders, Jones commanded before stalking off into the driving rain. All right, scum, Bosun yelled. Secure those lines. Hoist that cannon. Sir and Kyrie were about to follow Will into grabbing a rope to hoist the cannon, and the Bosun stopped them. Not you two, he growled with a maniacal tone as he protruded two brush scrubbers. You're scrubbing the deck. Sora grimaced as he took his brush from his new boss and Dolly walked up to their sign place and began to scrub the salt out of the wood. Kyrie knelt next to him and started in their futile attempt for 15 minutes as more crewmen came up from below deck at the bosun's call. This sucks, Kyrie moaned as she tried to get more of the sea spray out of the aged wood. Why are we doing this anyway? 
She asked Sora as the bosun called for Will to secure the mass tackle. Sora threw a tired glance as he viciously scrubbed at the deck, with Will running past them. Because, he grumbled, we're the youngest, most inexperienced members of the crew, so they stick all the meaningless and useless jobs on us. Carrie half smiled as she returned to her work before William suddenly came crashing into her, being dragged by the rope he was holding onto. Kyrie, he called, half rising as she and Will hit the railing with the dull thud. Hold them up to weevils to their feet, the boatswain ordered, pointing at them. Four crewmen came forward and dragged William and Kyrie onto their feet, placing their fronts to the mast and backs to the boatswain. The boatswain placed the whip and with the iron prongs in another's hand as he stood in front of William. Five lashes will remind you, he said as he and his colleague prepared to strike, to stay on them. No, Soren a crewman with waterlogged hair and clothes and a starfish on his face cried, each of them grabbing one of the whips. Impeding me in my duties, the bosun asked, looking between them. You'll share the punishment. Sora shared a quick glance in understanding with the other man before glaring at the bosun. We'll take it all, he said. Would ye now? A voice spoke. Sora looked up to see J.B. Jones standing nearby. And what would prompt? He asked, approaching the man. Such an act of charity. The man looked uncomfortably at his captain for a second. My son, he said at last, turning to look at Will. He's my son. Will's head turned to look strangely at the man as Jones shifted his attention to Sora. Just as Sora realized that the man must be Bootstrap Bill Turner. And you? He asked, moving to stop directly in front of Sora's face. Because I love her, Sora said, virtually snarling at the creature in front of him. Sora thought he saw Jones's face slid into a look that made him seem to be lost in thought or memory, but it was gone as quickly as it had come to be replaced by anger. What was that? Uh, he snarled at the boy in front of him. Because I love her, Sora repeated firmly. Captain. Jones backed away from him and stood next to the bosun. Well, that fortuitous circumstances be this, he said with a laugh as he took the whips from the bosun and his assistant. Five lashes be owed, I believe it is. He pushed the iron-pronged whip in front of Sora's face as he handed the other one to Bootstrap. No, Bootstrap said, as he shaking his head. No, I won't. I am disinclined to acquiesce to your request, Sora said shakily, looking at the glinting prongs on the whip in fear. The cat's out of the bag, you two, Joan said. Your issue will feel its sting by Bosun's hand. Or your own. No, Sora gulped as he looked at the sharp iron with dread. Jones looked maniacally at him. Bosun! No! Sora yelled as he quickly pulled out his keyblade. Before he could even point at Jones or the Bosun, he found it. He found about 15 pirate blades inching inches away from running him through. Sora looked Threw a look of loathing at Jones as he recalled his keyblade and slowly grabbed his whip before anyone crueler could get their hands on it. He quickly gulped and turned around to see Kyrie, looking at him with tears in her eyes. As his crew undid the strips on her breastplate, tossing the white armor away like a rag to reveal 
Carrie's back, bare except for the purple strap of her bra. Sora's eyes met hers for a brief moment as the crew began jeering at her, and the humiliation and hurt he saw in them hurt him. But he somehow saw the kind understanding and the truth at them. She would be doing the same if the positions had been flipped. Seven, she whispered to him before turning her head away and proudly raised it high in defiance. A tear leaked from Sora's eyes as he raised the whip. I'm sorry, he said quietly before bringing it down on her be on her with a crack. Carrie howled in agony as the prongs cut deep into her soft flesh, coming out blood-stained and glinting with the thick liquid. Sora looked in horror at the blood on the whip and on her back before closing his eyes, swinging it again. He was met with another howl as he opened his eyes to see Carrie staggering on her feet, only being kept up by the crewmen gripping her arms, causing their own red bangs on her forearms. Blood was oozing out of the many deep gashes up the two whippings had rent in her skin. Sora dropped to his knees, and he heard her sobs of pain and began sobbing as well. I can't. He choked, bringing his head to his face to hide his shame and salty tears while Will was continually wrenched by his father. He would have said more were it not for the bite that was rapidly ascending his throat. Sora wretched, dispelling the sick as he cried. Insolent boy! Joan spat as Will was thrown down from the deck. Bosun, five lashes to him when you've finished his work. The bosun stepped forward and stole the whip from Sora's side. Sora heard a loud crack and looked up from the pile of sick to see Bosun whipping Kyrie. Specks of flesh all actually flying as deeper wounds were gouged. No! Sora yelled, jumping up to let the next strike hit him in the back instead. The crewman holding Carrie let her drop to her knees, where she immediately turned around to face Sora, the pain clearly showing in her eyes. The crewman grabbed Sora and held him fast, ripping off his jacket and shirt underneath to leave his chest and bare back for the strokes of the whip. Sora, she quickly said, gritting her teeth as sea spray entered her wounds. I forgive you, and I'm sorry. She turned her head away, unbearable to bear watching. Eight, she whispered to herself, trying desperately not to throw up. Sora grimaced and roared in agony as the whip stingers gouged deep into his back and Carrie looked back in horror. No sweat, he struggled out, meeting her eyes from his own blue orbs, filled with compassion. The pain of the next three swings came hard, wringing all of Sora's will not to break to the breaking point as the whip cleaved flesh from him. Scattering it over the deck, before he could break, the bosun lowered his whip and shoved him down onto the deck. The crew left at the two before stalking away. Carrie crawled forward and placed Sora's head in her lap, caressing his forehead. I'm sorry, Sora feebly mumbled as his salty tears streamed from the earth down their faces. He coughed and a little blood came out. She held him tightly, both of them panting heavily wincing in pain as William and Bootstrap Bill came up. Sora, Wolf said frantically. Sora winced again as the loud noise and placed his hand to his ear, trying to block the sound. Will looked up at his father. We need to get them below deck, he said. I'll take the boy. 
Wills looked up to see a crew man approaching them. Lanky brown hair covered his head. Brown curls grew on his right cheek up to the side of his eye. His flesh was white, and as well as was the flesh of all crew members that still resembled humans, which contrasted greatly to his green eyes. Why would you do that, Mac? Bootstrap asked as Mac lifted Sora off of Carrie and carried him in his arms. He looks a lot. He looks an awful lot, Mac said slowly in a deep voice as they quickly got below deck, Carrie on William's shoulders, like my son did 12 years ago. They entered a room brightly lit by candles with one bunk. Will looked around with an inquiring look and was answered by his father. This is the sick bay. He said, normally we all sleep on hammocks just below deck. We should probably leave them here so nobody can hurt them further. The boatswain normally never uses the whip he used on them. William placed Carrie down on the ground in a sitting position. She held a hand to her heart, wincing in pain with every breath. Mac placed Sora in a similar position next to her, only for Sora to immediately hug her, his face... His fingers lightly touching her bleeding skin as she hugged him back. Kiraga, they said weakly. Green tendrils came from their fingers, entering the deep wounds they had, that had been wrenched on each other's back and curling around to heal the scrapes on their arms and fronts. The wounds on their backs stopped bleeding and all the water and impurities were removed, but the wounds did not close. Instead, a green glow emitted from them before a moment ceasing. They both but the pain from the injury ceased, but they could finger the wounds on each other's back. I don't understand, Sora said feebly. Why are they still there? Will shrugged. Maybe they need time to heal, he said, grabbing some bandages. Sora and Carrie nodded tiredly as William and Mac wrapped the white bandages around the teen's body. You look an awful lot like my son did, Mac said. Max said, Sora, looking at Sora in wonder, with a twinkle in his green eyes, and Will's and Bootstrap Bill bid them good night. He should be fifteen now. I wonder what he looks like. Sora looked up from Carrie at the man in front of him. When did you last see him? He asked. Mac looked away from them, and his eyes became filled with memory. Twelve years ago, he said. I was a fisherman on a chain of islands. Some said I was the best, but there were probably better. I left my wife Anne that day to go to my ship with a friend before he could board his own ship boat. My boy of three and his friends followed us all the way to the docks. My son had spiky chocolate hair and always wore a white shirt and red shorts. Always talked of adventure too after he learned to talk, and I had told him of tales of the sea. His bright blue eyes always sparkled in excitement when I told stories. Max sighed sadly as he looked down at the two teens before walking to the open door. I used to have a beard then, too, he muttered. What was his name? Carrie asked quickly before he could leave. Max stopped and turned to them. Sora, he said. Carrie quickly looked between Mac and Sora in sudden realization. Mac was about to step out again when Sora spoke. Dad? He asked quietly, what happened to you? Max slowly turned around again and slowly began walking to them. What did you call me? He asked in wonder. One te last tear crept out of Sora's eye. Dad, he choked, 
it's me, Sora. Kara smiled at them as Mac knelt down and embraced his son. My son, Mac muttered. I have a son again. They pulled out and Mac began looking him over. You have my hair, he said as he finally tried to push his hand through the spikes. And your mother's eyes. Sora smiled at him as Mac then looked at Kari and raised his eyebrows. A friend of yours, my boy? He asked with a chuckle. Sora looked fondly at Kari as she sat next to him and kissed her. Dad, he said, breaking from Kari as his eyes twinkled like his father's. This is my girlfriend, Kairi. Mac looked at them. Kairi, he said, rolling his tongue on the R. Such a beautiful name for a beautiful girl. He then quickly embraced her as well as Sora let out a yawn. Much though I'd like to talk, Mac said, a, fa a father's growl suddenly coming out of his voice. You two are way up past your bedtime. Hit the hay, the both of you. Sora sighed and gingerly stood up before collapsing on the ground. Already asleep, Carrie giggled weakly at him as her head nodded. She rose and got herself into the bunk, wrapping the blanket around herself. Within seconds, she was asleep. Mac chuckled and looked between the two of them. A transparent white figure faded into existence in front of Sora, uh, and Mac looked at him, surprised. The figure was a boy with spiky blonde hair of the same stature of his son, and the same eyes. I'm Roxas, the boy said. We can become formally introduced tomorrow. Right now, the boy looked at Sora and Carrie with a sly grin. How about we play a practical joke? Mac caught his drift with no trouble, and soon Sora was wrapped in the bunk with Carrie under the blanket. Sweet smiled that hadn't, that hadn't been present before now playing across their faces. Roxas smirked at the two and suppressed a laugh before waving at Mac in farewell. See you tomorrow. He said before becoming a blue light that engulfed Sora. Max shook his head slightly to clear the room from his uh, to clear the light from his eyes before blowing out the candles and closing the door behind him as he exited the room. He loved having the sight of his son again. And that was chapter 17, The Dutchman. If you would like to be part of the story, then find me on Twitter at AnimeGuy1 and on Skype at AnimeGuyKurosaki1. If you are watching this from YouTube, then, well, just look at the, well, you can just easily look at the description to find all that. If you're looking at, if you're looking at TalkShoe, then if you're looking, if you're listening to this from TalkShoe.com, then, well, head to my YouTube channel at AnimeGuyKurosaki1. And if you're on YouTube and you'd like to download these episodes for you to listen, not sure why you would, of the very few of you actually listening, then you can go to TalkShoe and download them there. Call ID 136-135. May the grace of the valor protect you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.